Lori's here now. Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You want to get I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories in In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you've done Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the NASCA Stop Child Abuse Now Blog Talk Radio Show. NASCA stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. And my name is Kim Lakin, and I am your host this evening. My beautiful co-host this evening is Dr. Nancy. And then we also have um, our VP, Carol, on the line, too. And she's going to start us off with the subject this evening and, and so that we can get some conversations going. So I'm excited to, to hear what you got planned, Carol. <laughs> um, so this evening, we are on scan number 3178, and we would love to have you join us and call in and be, a guest, be on um, the panel, and you could be one of our special guests as well. But that phone number to call in is 646-595-2118, and you can join us online and um, Dr. Nance will meet you on the back line this evening and see if you would like to come online with us. So at NASCO, we have a single purpose, and that is to address issues that are related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as it's related to helping society get over taboo discussing childhood sexual abuse, also known as CSA, presenting facts showing that child abuse is enough is a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everybody, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous tabs, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone who's interested in many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And it looks like we have a growing panel, so that's great to see. Again, we are on scan number 317E. And if you would like to be a part of the panel, please call in. We'd love to have you. That's number 646-595-2118. And um, you can access all of the past shows by going on to, to nasa.org and just looking up that scan number that we said, and then you can find any past guests that we've had on. 
So I'm going to go ahead and bring Carol on. She said that she has a topic this evening. So good evening, Carol. Well, good evening. Um, you have Lori here also. She's the 717, just so you know that. And then uh, 718 also. Okay, so we have quite a crew here tonight. And uh, that's good. Yeah. That's good because, well, well one thing um, that is very, very disturbing, all right, now you know I watch a lot of news. <laughs> and uh, and I come from a political family, but we won't go there. But I just want to tell you this, that the suicide rate <clears throat> amongst the teens now, okay, is so horrific that it's even making the news, the regular channel news. They're talking about it. Okay. Now, it's from kids that came out of the pandemic, the teenagers, and um, they get back into school and they're having all kinds of problems with many different things, mm-hmm. bullying being one of them. And I know you guys had a topic, I think, on bullying not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of that going on. And then, of course, there is the problem with the fentanyl. And our kids are dropping like flies. Okay. And so this isn't a fun time in our lives. It is a time in our lives that is certainly making history, but it's not a good kind of history. So when I see that the kids, you know, are, are dying um, from, yes, child abuse and all kinds of stuff, um, the child abuse rate has gone way, way sky high. Most of them that go to the hospital, um, if they're taken to the hospital, uh, are, are suffering from uh, head trauma. And, of course, they keep those kids. And, you know, so all kinds of things are happening with our children that really is not good, okay? It just simply isn't good. And I'm, I'm sorry about that to have to even report that. But on the other hand, it's something that has to be reported. So um, one thing I want to get across here before I start into this, uh, I always give out where I get my information from so that people can look it up themselves. So when I want to find out information about uh, child abuse, and it covers all different spectrums, all different covers, all different areas, it's so simple just to type into your browser, psychology today, and then dish child abuse. And then that way, a whole bunch of things open up, all different topics of child abuse. And then that way you can pick whichever one you want to. Um, So I want that out there. And then also, if you look up in Camber Meet, or is it Meet or Ment? Oh, I see. CamberMentalHealth.org. Now, that is obviously an email. Uh, CamberMent.org, Health.org. Um, and on the 21st, and it was the year of the 21st, okay, tw- you know, 2021, um, studies show childhood abuse was reported by 46% of people who suffer from depression. Now, we're talking about kids here, okay? 46% of those kids were suffering from depression. 57% of people are bipolar. And that, of course, is mental illness and depression, too, if it becomes like complex PTSD, all right, is all mental illness and recognized by the DSM. And that is like the Bible, for AMA, the American Medical Association. 
So they have actually uh, decided that PTSD, now this is good for people who suffer from PTSD, um, it's good for them to know that the DSM-5, they are actually um, recognizing that people have post-traumatic stress disorder and it can be from child abuse. So hallelujah, finally, after all these years, okay? So that's a good thing, and then you can get help that way and, I don't know, maybe put on disability if need be. Now, the National Institute of Health.org is what I want to talk about tonight because uh, children may actually internalize pain or express, uh, express it out in undesirable ways. That could be behavioral, okay? We know all about behavioral, at least I do. And uh, they can have terrible outbursts, children who are being abused. Children are in an increased risk of behavior, physical and mental health problems, including severe and more persistent depression. Now, this is where the suicide things are starting to happen. And they went as back as far as eighth graders who are committing suicide today. This is why I'm really blown away by this. I want to talk about it. And uh, it started with the pandemic, right around that area. And um, the pandemic is considered to be over, thank God. But what happened to children, and we've spoken about this on the show so many times, what happened to kids many times who come from homes where they're being abused at home, those kids then, where do they stay? They have to stay in the home because they couldn't have gone to school because a lot of the schools were shut down, right? So that's how that started. It started a trend because they couldn't get away from their abuser even long enough to go to school. So, you know, this is the type of world that we're living in right now. Um, mental health disorders is a common consequence of an abusive childhood, and they suffer from moods or mood disorder, um, anxiety, anxiety disorders, and then, of course, the teenagers, like I did at the age of 15, I started drinking heavily. Um, they get into alcohol, substance abuse of other kinds, and, and it can have lasting effects on your mental, physical, and emotional health. How many of us who are adults now, we're not kids anymore, we're adults, how many of us have too many illnesses, so it appears? I've heard of many people who have like, yeah. stomach problems. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's You bet. I would go to a doctor. Uh, my mother didn't take me, so I had to walk. <laughs> That's okay. Whatever. But I'd get there. And, um, Carol, you have aches here. You have aches here. You have aches here. But I don't know what they're caused by. And you know I have a mouth. So I'd say, well, you're the doctor. Why don't you know? <laughs> All right. Well, he didn't know what type of home I came from. And this is why I always try to bring out the percentages of uh, child abuse and, and also, too, where it comes from. The bullies on the street, what, what type of home do you think they come from? I absolutely Amen. know of one, definitely. My bully, her father was a New York City cop, and he had three girls, and he beat the crap out of her at home. So she came to the playground um, and was beating the crap out of me. Uh, so you have the popular girls and then you have the tough girls. And seeing that, I always connected from which way with the tough girls. They confided in me. Um, 
they were open to their what was going on in their houses. Whereas you know, it, it's not like June Cleaver kind of stuff. It's not that kind of living. So I knew the horror stories. I mean, one girl, her mother was a prostitute, so she she ended up being the toughest one on on the street. So definitely they act out, and um, it it is it's unbelievable what's going on that it is getting worse because I thought way back when that was the worst, but the homes are where everything is coming from. That's the initial place a child learns from, especially in the first couple of years. I mean, they're put in preschools now, you know, pre-K, whatever, and then kindergarten because of everybody working, so they're more exposed. But the, that kind of family nurturing that's supposed to go on in their first few years, the basic foundation that every child has the right to have, is too many times taken away from them. My people who are uh, into their own world, either, you know, could be drugs, it could be that they have other places to go rather than be inside with the child. And if they're home with the child and they're annoyed and pissed off, they tend to act out on the child. And that's the home that I grew up in. You know, it was a constant state of screaming and violent throwing tantrums. Uh, I found dead animals like in and around the house. I mean, I had a crazy brother, but I had everything in the foundation years that hindered the way I even entered school. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't even able to really talk. I did not socialize um, when I first entered. So I never saw kids my age. I wasn't exposed to them you know when the family walks away from a lot of families they do walk away from situations where kids they don't want to be bothered with and that kid feels the effect they don't realize it but the kid feels the effect so being an isolated kid and then entering a world of socialization and which is school and getting beat up on or neglected, even emotionally abused. There's so many types of abuses at home. Um, it's very hard for that child to bond with people, and that that just changes their future. You know, you're supposed to nurture kids. You're supposed to love kids. You're supposed to make them um, where they can relate to other people on a nicer level. And that hasn't happened if you're coming from an abusive home. And with this pandemic and all these, you know, teaching at home and there's multiple kids in the house, the parent who is the baby could be the babysitter. Uh, They stopped in, well, I know in New York and my schools, they stopped the grades used to be focused so much on testing and then but they saw that the kids were not functioning they're not putting out because they're not interacting so they dropped the grade system for a while during the pandemic but these kids were a mess when they came back to school that's you know, right that's it, and that's from the home that's that's the problem and you hit it right on the head right on the head beautifully okay um, what you're speaking about is an environmental conditioning. And you see what happens is when kids are brought up in a home, even like the gang kids, okay, where um, where their parents are gang members, 
and we have a lot of gangs, okay, um, what happens is the kids are expected to behave in such a way they have to absolutely do everything that they're told. That's environmental conditioning. And as they grow older, uh, if they're expected to go out and, and kill someone who is a rival, whack them, as I used to say, <laughs> okay, um, who is a rival because they don't want that person around, well, then they they don't dare go against you know their their mother and father because that's going against the you know the whole rule. You you get rid of people who are going to be rivals because you want to be in power. So then they go out even if they don't have it in their heart, Maury. You know they'll go out and but you know what happens after they do it one time, two times, three times it's environmental conditioning, and they actually become numb. Numb. This is what happens. And a lot of times with kids, now you said that, um, you know, isolation, yes, and, and people tend to stay home more now. They're not using their skills, um, any skills that they were taught, you know, even to speak to their neighbors, speak to people in school, you know, to socialize uh, has been stunted because of the pandemic that we just came out of. So they're going back to school, and they're not feeling right. They're feeling strange because they were home, you know, for that amount of time. And with all the terrible, uh, put the masks on, take the masks off, all this stuff that we had to go through, you know what I'm saying. Um, they were confused, and the parents were scared. They were scared. They're afraid. You know, don't breathe on me. Don't come too close. All right, don't come near me. Now, I'm not downplaying that. I'm just simply saying I was in a birthday party, and there were quite a few people there, and I was the only one that didn't get sick. Everybody else did get sick, okay, but I didn't get sick. And then I went and got two shots because all of those people got sick. Well, think of all the, the, the fear factor that's there, okay, the fear factor. And, you know, so we've come from a time in, in our lives where there was a lot of panic. It turned into panic. And uh, and for good reason with some people. I mean, come on, a lot of people did get sick, and there were quite a few that died. There was a nursing home over by me, and um, my kids are always saying, Ma, that's where you're going, and then I smack them in the head, <laughs> but playfully. But, you know, there were there was staff that, that died there, now, this isn't far from my house. And um, and then the patients died, and they stuffed them in a truck. A truck. Are they nuts? So when you find out information like this, it, it, it sends a shiver down the spine of society, of people, you know, because we're living in a world where you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You just simply don't. And then with the people in authority, if you want to call them that, um, you know, with the president and all this other stuff, those people, um, not giving us good answers, and then with all the other issues that go along, and I promise I won't get into politics, but all the issues that you see on TV, um, and I do watch uh, a certain channel very frequently because I believe that channel, and this is what's happening because they're finding bodies all over even by the border. And they talk about it. So then people who watch TV as much as I do, as far as, you know, the news, if I was that type of um, personality where I, I got scared and all this other stuff, it is a fearful type of, of uh, way to live. 
Now, with the children, they hear the parents speaking. They hear what's going on because the parents openly speak about it. They don't try to keep it from their children. And this is maybe maybe one time when they can maybe not talk so much about news in front of the kids because it scares the daylights out of them. You can be sure it makes them feel insecure, insecurity, okay? So they're trying to go back to school, be normal, and then we have all that other garbage going on, which I'm not going to talk about, but you know what I'm talking about just by my saying that. Um, with a sexuality, I'll give you that much, to add on to all the other things that they're going through. And these kids, are a certain amount of them, are becoming very, very depressed. And you're right, because of the school system having to pull back, because after all, parents aren't teachers, so they give them easier things to do at home, the parents that you know really became engaged with this, to teach their children, but they're not teachers. So when they get back to school, then they're far behind. All right, history is awful. Uh, English is bad, but math, I think math and one other is, is very, very bad. Civics for the uh, older kids is bad also. So you see, they're, they're going back into an environment from which they came. Many kids liked to go to school because they weren't being abused at home. That was some time away from home. Even if it was only, you know, four, five, six, seven hours, whatever it was, they weren't. So yeah, it's a mixed up it's a mixed up crazy world right now. That's what it is. So um yeah. the kids, all right. Can I Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna, can I say something real quick now? Sure. This is Kim. Um I was gonna say the other thing that I, I noticed is family time doesn't seem to be as important as it used to be either. And okay. I know that I you know, I wasn't raised to have dinner with my family, and that was something that I felt was very important. And even looking back with my kids, I thought, you know, at least they have this time where there's no TV, there's nothing else going on, but now all the homes are open. And so, you know, like my kids that have kids, the TV is still blaring while dinner's going. A lot of times they don't even eat together because they're mm-hmm. just trying to get the kids set so that they can get them in bed and then they eat later and I'm just like you know what you're missing out on that whole bonding time I had a daughter that wouldn't talk hardly at all to me but if we sat down to the table at dinner time once in a while you'd get something out of her you know and so that was really important to me looking back I'm like you know she would have been so disconnected if we didn't at least have that time together so um yeah it, it is it's sad the way that Society well, it really is. And, and it absolutely is. Yeah. Stuff. Do you want to ask, should we see if Nancy has anything to yes, say? Yes, please, please do. Yeah, I'm going to go all the way down. Go ahead. Hey, Nancy. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Nancy. Oh, well, there's so many different parts. Thank you so much, Ms. Kim. I appreciate you. <laughs> Love you guys. Um, so it's always an honor to be here with you all. I mean, you guys have hit so many different points. Um you know, earlier before Ms. Carol uh, called in, Ms. Kim and I were talking and we we're trying to figure out different topics to talk about. And one of them being, you know, um, the fact that, like Ms. Carol was just sharing, you know, some of these kids have been through tremendous amounts of trauma 
and abused. And so a lot of them end up in in these uh, situations. I was going to talk about the fact that I've been doing a lot of work in the juvenile justice system, and um, I actually was just at the uh, juvenile detention yesterday working with the, in the boys' facility, and then I went to the – well, first I was at the girls' facility, then I went to the boys' facility. And, you know, sitting with them, talking to them, and really hearing from them once you start gaining some of their trust, you start to kind of see, like, they're still little kids, you know. Yeah, some of them are there for murder, you know, and, and sometimes mm-hmm. as young as five years old. Um, but what happened? And there's this one little girl that uh, every time I come, she, like, holds an extra little special place in my heart. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't have to give details of the person, but I'll just share a little bit of the story, which is just the basics of her um, – stepfather tried to sexually abuse her and um and she was you know he was hurting her her mom and so she grabbed the gun and was so-called you know trying to uh self-defend herself and so um you know a lot of times you see people in these situations where you're like wow how did this person get here or wow that person that's a bad kid or you know what have you but if you really sit down to really understand the child, you'll go, oh, okay, all right, that's why um, there are so many issues in that area. This is why this child ended up in this facility. And, you know, and then you, you start to have a heart, you know, and understand that it's not that everybody's bad or that uh, they're bad or that they want to be bad, but a lot of times the circumstances, you know, not having the right support system, can have a complete, big, impact on the child. So um, just wanted to share that and piggyback off of pretty much what you guys were saying, you know, just from my perspective. But I I think that this is a very important topic to talk about. You know, we're dealing with children with depression, like you said, Ms. Carol, you know, depression. We're dealing with children with suicide at such an early age. Um, It was very difficult because I remember I was at a meeting with NAMI probably like a few weeks ago, and um, uh, they came up to us and they said, oh, yeah, three kids died by suicide last night, uh, two by gun and one by hanging. And, and mm-hmm. it, it just sounded, unfortunately, you know, it starts to sound kind of like we're becoming a desensitized nation. And it's not that they were, they didn't have a heart or said it without a heart, but it's just so frequent. It's so mm-hmm. frequent that you can't even go, oh, my God, really? It's more or less like, oh, wow, really, again, again? you know? And um, you know, it's, it's just hard, yeah. Well, you know, well before we go to Philip, since you mentioned detention, and then we'll go to Philip, and I want to hear about Reiki, by the way. <laughs> I got him. Mm. Okay. So uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, when I worked at the detention center, um, our facility was for those who committed adult crimes, these kids. and But we did have a boys and girls in one building, okay, just different, you know. And we had police officers that worked there as well because some were, you know, they tried to kill people. Now, um, I, I caught a girl trying to commit suicide. And, you know, when when people when people have tried to commit suicide, and many of us, I'm huge. There's so many of us that have been, you know, at that extent of of depression. Uh, I was 17, and uh, this little girl 
Um, she was uh, a little bit younger than I had been, and she was about 15, I guess. And she had tried to commit suicide because you see the state and the county sheets are very, very cheap. They're thin. And she was able to get, uh, yeah, a little strip off. I mean, a strip that's long enough for her body and go around her neck and all this other stuff. She hung herself from the top. It was a bunk bed in that particular one, uh, from the top, you know, bed. And she was, and let herself go forward. Something like what uh, Epstein supposedly did in jail. I don't know what the heck he did. No one seems to know exactly. So, but anyway, that type of, of execution to herself, if you will. And um, I went to work about an hour early because, you know, we have antennas. Those of us who have been through abuse, we seem to be able to spot it easier and sense it that there's something really wrong with this kid. And um, she started giving away what little, you know, possessions they were allowed to have in their cells. And that's a red flag right there. And then she drew me a beautiful horse, and um, uh, and she was quite an artist. And um, she so she drew this picture of a horse, and she gave it to me. And I thought, oh, boy, I'm coming in instead of a quarter to seven, I'm coming in at a quarter to six, which is what I did. And I went right to her cell, and she was purple but I must say the nurses were well trained and they did they did you know get her breathing right again and we took her over to a mental facility see we're lacking mental facilities horribly I did a show on that last Friday at one time we had over 12,000 okay in our country and now we only have 572 that's pretty bad. So you see people who are, um, you know, they're, they're out on the street, they're homeless. A lot of them are mentally ill, and where'd they come from? Their families can't deal with them, so they, they, they're out on the street. Same thing with the kids. And with the kids with doing all the looting and stuff that they're doing, where do you think that comes from? If my kids ever tried to loot, um, believe me, I wouldn't stand for it. And they know that they can spend up to nine hundred. Was it nine hundred and ninety-five uh, dollars? And it's not grand larceny, right? It's nine hundred and ninety-five dollars, five dollars short. All this stuff. So when you have situations like this, environmental conditioning that's so 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 bad, then you're going to have problems with kids, and you're going to have kids that are all screwed up, and they're going to try to commit suicide and and, and bullying in schools, and on and on it goes. Let's go down to Philip because I want to hear what he has to say. Well, um, I think it'd be really disappointing to be locked up for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be. It absolutely would be. Absolutely. When 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 kids um when when you're saying locked up for a long time, do you mean imprisonment? Like juvie first, and then from there you go to jail and then to prison, or, or, or do you mean at home, where the environmental um, conditioning is? Huh? I mean the mental health unit or jail. Mhm, mhm. Okay. You bet. And um, I did catch several when I worked at Greystone. Now, I wasn't the only that caught them. Those of us that did our job, we caught them. Okay. 
that tried to commit suicide because they were so depressed. And don't forget, when you're in like a state hospital, Philip, okay, um, we had kids at one time, and uh, then they decided they didn't want anybody under 18, all right? So what do you do with them? You have to watch them all the time. And, and the, the, the state-certified technicians like myself, um, we had a, a job and a half to do and worked right with the, uh, the psychiatrist because trying to keep these people safe and get them better. And I must say that the facility that I worked in, the hospital, state hospital, um, not too many left. They didn't. All right. They were in there for life because they were so mentally ill. And we housed also the murderers, the sociopaths and the psychopaths. So they weren't going anywhere, honey. And if they got sick, the police, we had them right on the grounds. And they would take them to the hospitals, and then we had to do shift work um, and take in our turns to sit with them until they got out of the hospital because the hospitals didn't uh, want the responsibility of having murderers, okay, in, in the hospital. They were scared of them. Hell, I was scared of them too. <laughs> you know, I didn't know whether to make, make eye contact with them or I might remind them of someone, right? Or, and they might attack me. I don't know. You never know, you know, with the, right. especially with the murderers. Yeah. So maybe that will answer your question. So go ahead. Who was going to say something? Who's up next? I don't know. I heard something. Um, but anyway, all right, getting back to um, what we were talking about before, there's just so much with mental health, and we just got out of mental health month, okay, or maybe still is mental health month. But the point is um, there's always something to talk about because there's such a, a broad spectrum, you know, and it affects children and it affects adults. And with the uh, sexual abuse, with the sexual abuse, this is what we're really talking about tonight. How does it affect the kids? And uh, it's, it's that childhood abuse can absolutely cause more chronic physical conditions. It can cause mental conditions, risky behavior. Did any of you ever do risky behavior? I sure did. <laughs> I'm not quite out of that one. But um, drinking, drugs. Um, sometimes they, you know, you see these kids going into the gym, and you think that's a good thing, right? But it can be a bad thing because everything they do, they don't do it in a normal way, and they will over-pump their bodies. You see these guys that are over-pumped? I would love to know what type of home they came from. It's one thing to have muscles. Philip, do you have muscles? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But... It's one thing to have muscles, and then there's another thing to be so muscular that, like, you look like those uh, guys like Superman and all the rest of them that were used to be on TV. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, well, you know what I'm saying. So, um, peep, that's not normal, okay? So then you have um, eating, you know, problems. You have those who are anorexic and those who are bulimic, all right? Um, so it can affect you all different kinds of ways, and and you know it just affects society because we have these children that grow up in, in such terrible dysfunctional homes where they're acting out as a problem. They end up in juvie, okay, 
I'm glad you have done some time working with the juvenile delinquents that are in, the, in their facilities. Um, it's important. Uh, and what's even more important is to have good doctors and to have good psychiatrists. And, um, and you know, they had to go to school where I um, where I worked. They had school right there, special trained teachers and so forth. I mean, we need all different kinds of things when you work in juvenile detention. You have to have special teachers also, special ed, okay? And uh, so it's important to have people who care enough about their kids to try to really help them. All right. And um, one other place that I worked where I was working with um, with the mentally ill, um, I found out that all the psychiatrists had their own psychiatrists, and that blew me away. And you know I have a weird sense of humor. So I started to laugh, and I couldn't stop because they're there to help the people, and they had their own shrinks. So I started laughing my ass off. I couldn't help it. <laughs> and I was I was rolling on the floor. I was laughing so hard. Yeah, because I was, like, walking around on, on marshmallows or on eggs or whatever the heck you want to call it, um, around the, the psychiatrist thinking that they, ooh, they're like God, right? right? Well, they had their own shrinks. What? <laughs> so, you know, it just didn't make sense to me. But um, you have to deal have with our problems. <laughs> well, I'm, well, maybe the problems rub off. With us. I mean, nobody's perfect. Whether you come from a wonderful home or or that I don't know anything about. But anyway, none of us do. A lot of us on NASCA don't know what it's really like to have, you know, a wonderful home. But we all have a little something. We all have a little something. So maybe some of those people worked their way up and they became a psychiatrist. Maybe they were lunatics, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Maybe loony birds and whatever. But um, I got over my feeling of thinking they were like God. <laughs> you know. So because people are people, that's, that's the truth. But what society and our families are doing to our children is sinful. That's sinful. Because society, when they turn and look the other way, and they don't, they don't make that that phone call, the one eight hundred for a child number. That's one. That's uh, it's nationwide. And if you don't want to deal with people around in your area, okay, because you're afraid of retaliation, if you're like from an urban area, whatever, um, you can call that number, and they'll make phone calls and they'll help, okay, and they'll tell you what to do, how to handle the situation, and all this other stuff. And um, so that's a number to keep in mind, uh, the one eight hundred four, the number 4A, and then you work out C-H-I-L-D on the phone, one eight hundred four a child And uh, they, they do help. So another thing with the kids, okay, um, you have to really, really, really be um, careful and vigilant um, because they feel, if you notice a change in your child, like the eight signs of, Repressed Childhood Trauma, and that's uh, from integrativelifecenter.org, the eight signs of uh, repressed childhood trauma in adults. Now, when they were kids, they would act out. They'd have strong, unexplained reactions to people, um, lack of ease in certain places. Well, why would that be? Think about it. Extreme emotional shifts, attachment issues, anxiety. I had terrible uh, panic attacks. 
I probably had complex post-traumatic stress disorder. They had me down as clinically depressed. Childish uh, reactions sometimes will revert, go backwards, you know, in the way they behave, all right? Um, they have consistent, uh, they're always tired, far too tired. Um, and then also, too, unable to cope in a normal, stressful situation. Those of us who are normal, I'll say that those of us who are normal, okay, if something bad happens, you, a lot of times, okay, I'm not saying you don't get scared, but you know what to do. And even if it, if that means run like hell, that's okay, too. I don't care. But you know what to do. You can you can function. But then there are those of us who might see terrible things in front of us. Instead of doing anything, they freeze. Why is that? It's because when they grew up in their home, possibly there was a lot of fighting, and they had to witness it, and they weren't able to move. They were actually frozen, scared, stiff. That's where that comes from, scared, stiff. So there's reasons why people, you know, do act that way. And so with the depression, the signs of depression, um, withdrawal, all right, this can be for either children or adults, by the way. But, you know, if if a kid, I'll center on the kids, if they withdraw, say they were bubbly before, and all of a sudden they, they start to get too quiet, too quiet. Um, there's something going on in their mind. Something could be happening at home or maybe in school. And we were talking the other night, Lori and I, that um, right on air, that uh, school, you know, um, can be a good place or it can be a bad place for kids. It just simply can. And those kids that go through all kinds of stuff at home, if they then go through it at school on top of it all, yeah, those are the ones you have to watch out for because they're going to all of a sudden go from um, being bubbly to being sullen, uh, quiet, remorseful, um, saying they did something wrong or think that they did something wrong and they didn't do anything wrong. You know, um, they might start eating differently. Um, if they're young, if they're very young and they're getting bullied at school, um, those kids can retreat back to almost like being in diapers. I've seen it. You know, they act babyish, babyish, instead of acting their age. And so the change in behavior, or they can become hostile. They can become hostile. And so parents who have children whose behavior pattern, as they know them to be, where they all of a sudden change, that's something to look out for. Let me ask any of you, did you change when you were being abused? What type of kids were you guys? Oh, this is an easy one for me. Now, I saw pictures when I was young. I'd say about two. And I was happy sort of sitting in my aunt's lap. So I know I was born happy. The abuse, you know, got got me to where it was like I entered school at four years old because of my birthday. And mm-hmm. I obviously did not fit in because I didn't talk. Um, I didn't know, I didn't recognize like a setting of a bunch of kids and a teacher. It didn't compute for me because I was so isolated. I mean, when I was home, uh, Gilda was so depressed that she took to her bed. I mean, the woman didn't leave her bed for years and years. And it was kind of a good thing because she was also a psychopath. 
And then when she came down, it was usually beat the crap out of me. So I had no skills. So I was an obvious uh, target, I guess, from the beginning. And, yeah, they could have been recognized. And as I grew up and through the school system, I got even quieter. And then mm-hmm. quieter to the point where I didn't stand with any kid. I was on my own. I ate on my own. I just did not relate to anybody up until the end of fifth grade. That's what it took. And the teachers, though they watched me because I was quiet, they ignored what was said, what was done, how I was. And they also knew of my brother a year older, so I guess they didn't even want to get involved. By the time eighth grade came, this one teacher he was continually asking me, why don't you smile? And I never answered him, but I thought to him, like, what do I have to smile about? God, you should know what's going on in my life. You know, so it it turns on. You become, I just became different. Anybody who was interested, which was nobody, could have seen me, picked me out, and done something to help me. But like I said, teachers want the grades. And when kids, students get straight A's, it makes them look better. And that's what I did for them. And I didn't bother anybody because I didn't talk to anybody. So they had a problem with me. So I got ignored. And that's how I went through school. So picture this turn now for a kid that goes on uh, the angry side where he's acting out in school. Those signs anybody can pick up. They'll always recommend, oh, they need special ed. They need, you know, put them in this kind of school and whatnot. But it doesn't get done because there's too many kids. That's the problem. Um, Special ed schools, they're normally um, 12 kids in a class with a teacher and an assistant. And then they have the higher school where um, there's only six kids in a class and you have a doctor on board as well as a therapist and the teachers or, or, you know, special ed teachers. That's what my son was in. So the problem is that I absolutely know that they they do see it. It all comes to whatever the the person who is relating to you, if they don't like you, whatever, you, you just go through the system. But definitely the child doesn't get their needs met the way they should be because it's, and schools, as we did talk about, that's where they're going to get a lot of um, more of, a, I don't know, broadening what they know, the scope of what they know. You know, it's going to open up a whole lot of, like, areas that they can think of once they get uh, a chance to get away from the abuse and they actually can have their own thoughts. So stunting in a person like that is definitely going to lead into depression because the person knows that they're not at the same level another person say normal i don't know what that is but say normal a normal person is up to they know they're different and some of them don't compete some of them give up some of them do kill themselves and it is it is a high rate i have come through many psych wards with the suicidal kids in there uh, and they sit in a room and there's a, a aide I guess or whatever that just sits at the door writing down what they do um, eventually when the insurance runs out they they kick them out whether they're suicidal or not so, that's right 
then it's a revolving door. Do they go back to the abusive place? Do they go to foster care? Do they even know their parents? Do they even want their parents? And these are children. They should not have to be thinking about all of this stuff that is taking their mind off their own development and what they want. Because as they grow up, they're the, the future generation. And this is getting really ridiculous, having generation after generation of abused kids, and the problem is still growing. So oh, That's perfect. That's perfect. The, that's perfect the way you, you explained that. You know, mm-hmm. let me tell you something. Um, emotional abuse, which is a lot of what you're talking about, okay, and, uh, and it, then it can't go into mental illness because you are so emotionally abused. Emotional abuse is considered to be equally, if not more, uh, harmful to a kid, and I hate to say this, but I just read it, than, than sexual abuse. Now, I'm sorry. <laughs> sexual abuse can be awful bad, and there's a lot of us that know about that. And um, But emotional abuse is something that does go over into adulthood. Well, some might argue that fact, Lori, and, and say, well, those of us who have been you know, terribly sexually abused of course, we're going to have our problems, even with relationships and stuff like that, as we grow older and try to have relationships. Well, yes, you will. But emotional abuse, when it comes from the home, see, I always have to go back to the home, because that's where many times it does start, more often than not. Um, in the formative years, I read today, from zero to five years of age, those are the formative years. And if you're like the shaken baby syndrome, um, some kids die or, or if they don't, they're, they become mentally ill because, they, you know, the brain got shook um, when the brain is still forming. So zero to five, um, those are the worst years to be abused because um, your brain is in the process of trying to form and it comes across stress and anxiety. Kids don't even know what they're going through at that age. And... Um, it actually helps to mold the brain what it's going to turn into at an early age of zero to five. I found that shocking. But I do remember hearing it years ago, and evidently they haven't changed their mind on that. So if we're, if, if we're abused at a tiny, tiny age, I know you were, um, I certainly was. My mother used to prop the bottle. She never held me. There was never any hugs. She never praised me. She never told me she loved me. All these things that we hear time after time after time after time on on NASCA. So many of us go through that. And then that is is how we turn out. You know, we turn out where, where people who need to certainly get help, and as most people know, one good Catholic church saved me. He saw me and said, you're a mess. And I said, yes, I am. They pulled me in, and they had psychologists and everything else in that church because there was over 200 people in that prayer group, and they came from all walks of life. And I do mention it once in a while to give a little plug to the, the Catholic church in Red Bank. That was St. James, and that was a good Catholic church. <laughs> so when they saw me, they knew that I was having problems. They could just look at me. I would walk with my head held down. What do kids do? They suffer from low self-esteem, no eye contact. These are kids that come from, you know, homes 
where the homes are so dysfunctional, whether it be physical, like we say right in our mission statement, physical, mental, emotional, sexual, neglect, whatever it is, is is what brings a child down so that they can't make eye contact. People used to say, I had dead eyes. I have a picture, and I told Lori this last week, I have a picture of myself that I keep in the top part of my jewelry box, and it shows my face, and it shows my eyes. And it shows how skinny I was, because the first house that I lived in outside of my mother's when she was getting her divorce, um, she put me in a place to live. And that guy was a pedophile, heavy, 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 heavy duty. And I was his victim. And I'm not going to tell you how many times. Well, I'll tell you this. It was over 100 times I was sexually abused there because I was there a year and a half. So I went from a bubbly child, not that my home life was good because my mother and father almost killed each other, all right? Um, with this constant fighting. I'd see blood flying, Melissa. But I went from a, a bubbly child to a child who was very malnourished. I was pulling my hair out. I had dead eyes, which I didn't realize then, but I had dead eyes. And um, I, I wanted to die. When I finally squealed on this guy, he told me he was going to kill me. And he did mean it. Because when I finally told at the age of seven and a half... He chased me down with his vehicle. And I was going in and out and in and out of streets. I finally went down to the pharmacy. And that's where not one adult. Now, this is where society fails children. I was covered with dirt. I had gotten into barbed wire in somebody's backyard that I was running through, so my dress was torn. Didn't wear pants in those days, honey. I wore dresses at school, okay? So... Um, but every, I was a mess. I had blood dripping all over my legs because of the bar bar. Um, I was a mess. Not one adult, not one adult said to me, hey, little girl, what happened to you? And you see, as long as we have society, we have so many things to work with here at NASCA that we have to help try to change. Telling our stories, having this show is very good, but we have to do even more. We all do, not just NASCA. I mean, all organizations have to do more to wake society up to care. Isn't that right, Philip? Yes, Yes. Because so many times they don't care. And that's what we have to do somehow is try to get society to care because if they would at least make a phone call they see a kid run down the street like that or whatever. Um, for God's sake, maybe uh, they'd help, you know, save some lives just by doing their job of making a phone call to the police department. And and they have social workers that work with them now. They're training them. Okay. And um, it would be easier, better for the child, hopefully. I wish that's for hopefully after that. So you, you see... The reason why I brought this up tonight was because of my hearing that even eighth graders are in trouble. And I will admit that in my deceased husband's family, um, he was part of 9-11. He was an electrician in, in New York City, and he did die from cancer. Um, but the point is he had a nephew that hung himself 
at the age of 11. This is in Brooklyn. So you see, and he was, by the way, he was seeing a shrink. (laughs) He was seeing a psychiatrist. Yeah. So I can't answer what was going on in that family because I didn't know that side of the family too well. But there was an 11-year-old years ago. Um, I think he'd be around 30 now or something. That's how long ago it was. But he hung himself at the age of 11. So you see, when kids are starting out, like, say, in eighth grade and working their way up to having such terrible depression at such a young age, okay, at such a young age, and then, of course, it goes into, if you don't get the proper help, it goes into, you know, adulthood, and then what happens if we do get married? Um, well, we're probably not a very good spouse, okay? And I married two wackadoos because I didn't know how to pick. I was the tough girl, and I, I, I was into bikes and, and into drinking and popping pills. See, that's what I did. And um, so I'm very lucky to be alive. So what do you think, Doc? I you think you're alive. <laughs> I'm glad it. you're alive. <laughs> no, I'm glad you're alive. Well, well, thank you. <laughs> I like to do that to people. I'm a nut. Um, actually, I I enjoy life today. To be honest with you, um, I do have moments where I can get depressed. I mean, if you're depressed for two weeks, you better get help. All right because then there's something bad going on. But anyone can be, you know, depressed from time to time. And uh, so what I do when I get depressed is I get out of the house. See, we're starting to stay in the house more now. We're doing that. Because of all the trouble around the street, if you're more urbanite, okay, people are afraid to go out um, because of all the things that are happening. So, and then with the pandemic, we were afraid to go out and we were told we couldn't really go out because we were going to get sick if we went out. So many things. So, yeah, I'm pushing myself out of the house now. This is stupid. I want to get out there and I want to have fun and I want to do things. So that's where I'm at. That's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. See, we can get, we can go through all the things that we've gone through, and you know, I tell you how much wisdom you have uh, constantly. I probably tell you, but you honestly do. And to hear you say that after all you've gone through, and to be so smart and to give back to society and still to help these kids is so truly inspiring. You know, so you be the way you want to be, and you go out. You deserve it. And I like it. (laughs) (laughs) That I know. (laughs) I know. I know. So let's go go to the panel. I mean, we should. Um, Okay, like Dr. Nancy, I mean, I don't know how you were brought up. Um, I don't know if you came from a a good home or or in-between home, but... If you came from a home that was dysfunctional or whatever, how are you today? Well, you know, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, of course, most of what you said, if not all, I will definitely be able to agree with and relate to, you know. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm going to tell you something. 
when you've been through trauma as a child growing up and you end up, um, you know, your life could go any which way. You know, at this point, I'm going to answer for myself. I chose to, to change, but there was a journey and there was a road to my recovery. And there was definitely, and it was not an easy road and it was not a straight road. It had a lot of turns. It had a lot of dips. It had a lot of, uh, it, it was just winding all over the place, right? And then, you know, it got to the point where it, I just started to get better and I started to go straight. And then I was able to see the difference that I was making in other people's lives, like what we're doing here today. Our ability, excuse me, our ability to be able to recover and to come out on the other side is much bigger than us because there's so many people that are relying on us to survive. But, um, you know, coming from, uh, coming from an abusive childhood is something that's very traumatic, not easy. And some people just don't make it. You know, some people do end up taking their lives. And some people end up uh, having to go to prison for the rest of their lives. So this can have severe, a severe impact on a child uh, as they're growing up. Um, and that's why it's important for us to come together and, and try to help the community as a whole. When we share a story, we let people know that they're not alone. You know, this is this is actually very important. People need to know that they're not alone. And a lot of the people who end up taking their lives and or end up in jail or end up um, just on, on drugs or alcohol or, you know, whatever it is that is binding them down, a lot of them feel alone. Like nobody will understand. They deal with shame. Um, some people... They feel embarrassed to, to say, hey, I think I'm dealing with something. I think I'm dealing with depression. I think I'm dealing with mental illness. Or uh, I'm having, um, you know, uh, depression, person, multiple personality disorder, whatever it is, because a lot of times people will notice that something's going on, and you yourself, you might be living in a little bubble, bubble and not realize that something's wrong. But... Um, how are we approaching people? How are we uh, bringing it to their attention? Are we bringing it to them from a place of love? And I've just become more aware because um, I've I just become more aware of my work, of how I approach people and how I deal with people who are going through something because I know that I could be that one person that can help save a life. Mm-hmm. And so I take that very seriously. And, you know, I've shared in the past, I've lost my sister. Excuse me. To suicide. Mm-hmm. Sorry, y'all. I had a long day, too. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I get up early. I'm up like three, four. You know how you're a night owl and you get up early? Yes, and, mm-hmm. yes. That's, I had a yeah, at some night. point mm-hmm. you start, start catching up with you. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I, I'm just honored to, to be a part of this uh, conversation today. And I think any part that we take in uh, putting our hands to the plow, and um, and helping others know that they're not alone is just very, very much needed. I know that this month is um, Mental Health Awareness Month, but it shouldn't just take this month for us to uh, take recovery and mental health seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but again, to answer your question, um, I had a rough life, and I went through a lot. I went through 
the, the juvenile justice system. That's why I'm passionate about serving in that area. Um, I went through abuse. That's why I'm passionate about serving in this platform. Um, and I'm a survivor. I'm an adult survivor of abuse. That's why I'm also passionate about serving in this platform. So um, I just think that it's important for us to, as we recover, help somebody else up. You know, lend a hand up and help somebody else survive. That's right, absolutely. And who better to do it than we, the survivors? See, that's what I keep saying, all right? Now, I used to speak a lot over in the um, university near me, the Centenary College it was, and they turned into a university because more people, you know, became a part of it. And then it got taken over by DIFUS. They put in, um, they got got a... uh, Oh, anyway, they can. I can't think of the word because now you made you made me tired with all that yawning. <laughs> I, I get it, but they they got um, permission. They got permission, okay, to uh, to take over what I was doing and other people were doing. Not just me. People who came in and spoke for nothing, like we do on this show, like they do on this show, okay. But I did it for five years, and I helped to teach classes. And then all of a sudden, Dyfus came, you know, and came in, and they got a grant. That's the word I was trying to think of. And, uh, of course, they get paid. Okay, they got a grant. And uh, I didn't have a grant, and uh, I didn't care. But let me tell you something that's interesting because it shows that we're doing good. Um, I was in Walmart one day, and there were two kids um, in in one of of the classes that I had taught. They came running over to me, cow, cow, cow. They go, why aren't you at the college? And I said, well, I'm not allowed to because, you know, Dyfus took it over, period, and they got a grant, blah, 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 just like I told you. And uh, their faces fell, and they said, oh, we're so, you know, we wish people like you would come, um, and we certainly miss you, all right? And I said, well, I thank you for that. And then I bought them some honey buns. <laughs> so they said they were going to go back to the. Um, <laughs> I'm such a nut. So then they said they were going to go back and tell the professor, you know, that they had spoken to me, and um, and ask if I couldn't come back. And I said, well, you can do that, but they got a grant. See, that's different. Puts in a different category. They're there, all right, and they're diapers, all right. So um, they're not happy with them. Now, these are people, organizations like DIFUS, okay? And uh, so here we are. We're a block talk radio show, podcast, whatever you want to call us. And we do better jobs and reach the people better than people. Uh, I wonder if any of them are listening from DIFUS. Because we've walked the walk. If you walk the walk, you can talk the talk, all right? And we can do it so right. well. I'm not saying I'm not saying education isn't good. I certainly had to have a lot of, of schooling to do the jobs that I that I went to. And I would choose them because I felt, well, I know about juvie. Some of my friends ended up there, right? I, I know about mental illness. It's in my family. I get it. Maybe I'm crazy, I don't know. So I would go for a job there, but they'd all send us to school. We'd go to school. We had to. Because you don't just walk on wards if you don't have schooling. You don't do it, especially that type of hospital. And, um, you know, there's other places I have worked. And and uh, detox centers, um, I, was, I was certified uh, to the Board of Health. That was weird. 
um, in uh, in uh, Perth Amboy, I went to uh, um, detox and I got hired. I said, I didn't tell him my past self. I'm going to tell you something. Every job that I went, and I kept moving because I left my husband, husband number one, the father of my children, our children. So I would look for a better paying job. Even if I liked a job, I would leave it because I needed more money for my kids. And no one knew where Paul was. He's dead. He died years ago. He ruined his body. He left it to science. He left his body to science. I don't know why couldn't tell you but anyway the point is this um you know they all sent me to school which is the last place i wanted to go because i was miss panic child so i had a flask in the back of my pocket oh yes i did <laughs> and if i had to give reports i'd go in the ladies room go glug glug man go back out and they would they didn't smell it they didn't smell it so i would get through whatever i had to do and i did i got certified and two times over, and I'm fingerprinted all over New Jersey, so I can't do anything wrong. They'd catch me. <laughs> My prints are everywhere because when you work state and county jobs, that's what they do. So I wouldn't have been able to get where I had gotten, though, if I didn't have the courage to go for those jobs, and I felt I, I could align with them. I could I could understand them. I wouldn't have to learn that much because I had already been there. You see what I did? See what I did? And then that's how I got my jobs. So, you know, it, it's it's crazy. All right, some might say, well, Carol, we're sorry you went through all the stuff that you went through. I'm sorry I went through it too, believe me. But at least good came out of it. And with you, good came out of it. It comes out of all of us. We're able to help people. That's, that's We have... We have more compassion, you know, for people. I think we do. Um, right. Than people who haven't been there before and who haven't walked down the same streets that, that we walked down. Let's go to Kim. I'm I'm curious about her. Did you have a horrific life? <laughs> I'm just sitting back here listening. Um, well, it wasn't the best, and I... You know, like everybody, I um, didn't want to tell my kids, so I didn't really tell them much about my abuse or anything growing up. I just, you know, I didn't have a very good life and a very good childhood. And and I think, to some degree, I think that that wasn't the best thing. Um, I think that because of because of my trauma, that there were probably things that I reacted to that maybe didn't make sense and they didn't understand. And um, and I feel like even now that they're all adults, they're all grown and out of the house, that they don't know me real well, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. I'm really not the person that, I guess, well, I, I mean, I'm the person. I don't know how to I'm. I don't know how you say you're not that person, but you're not that person. You're not that same person. And um, and so now that my kids are grown and there's stuff coming out, they're having a really hard time with me not sharing that with them. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. It was, yeah, my dad was um, on heroin until I was about 14. And I... I 
I'm not saying, you know, by any means that that it's juice, but it was probably the root to a lot of things that he did and and a lot of reasons Mm -hmm. that he was so abusive Mm -hmm. because of that. Mm -hmm. And then they decided to uproot us right right before I started high school and uh, moved to a different state, and I think that had to do a lot now with the fact um, and I think my mom's already passed away. And um, I think that that was to get him away from all the drugs and the cheating and stuff that he was doing on my mom. But it really screwed up. It really screwed up, you know, having to leave mm-hmm. you can the teenage years and your high school years not know where you're at, not know anybody. And then it was all about, because he'd opened the restaurant in Canada. Yeah, we opened the Mexican food restaurant. None of us are Spanish, but we did. <laughs> but we did, and it worked really well for a while. But I was also required to work there, too. So, you know, that took a little bit away from my childhood. It was nice to have the money, but at times I never learned that. So, but I know that for a fact that my mom and dad were both sexually abused as children. And, um, mm. again, that's not an excuse, but I think that that was the justification that my mom had in letting things slide for some reason, because I've shared on her many times that at one point she said to me that, you know, that just happened. When I told her that I had been sexually abused by my dad, she basically mm. said, you know, that happened. And um, and so I was so determined. I'm like, no, that's not just going to happen. I'm not going to have that mind frame. I don't want it to happen to my children. I'm not just going to sit back and say, oh, it's just going to happen. And um, so I I have a lot of resentment, I guess. Not a lot. There's some resentment about that. Because I've never been able to process, process that with my mom. She but, but, um, but yeah, I, I would have loved to have a conversation with her now that I got to the point where I'm able to talk about it and, and be open. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting because she was very, she was the dominant one in the family. She was the one, pretty much the breadwinner and, you know, she kind of took control of everything, but, um, but yeah, she, you know, would let me get sexually abused. They're just like, oh, it happens. Yeah, so. right. Mm-hmm. See, that's, that's <laughs> it right there. Tim. Yeah, see, I went through the same thing you did. My brother was sexually abusing me, too. I mean, I had so much sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. It was disgusting. And uh, her answer to that, you just remind me, was, well, things like this happen in families. And that was the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no. It doesn't. <laughs> and, 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 and you know things like this shouldn't shouldn't be, man. Forgetting the the fact that the, the kid, you, me, whomever, you know, are the are the victims of of a monster. Because I consider him a pedophile too. He started at the age of nine on me, and I just got kidnapped and raped in New York. I love New York. I, I still love New York. I wouldn't go there without a helmet on right now, but <laughs> I I still love the city, you know. Uh, I feel I feel more comfortable in the city. I don't know why, but I do. I blend in with people. Even as big as it's gotten. Well, that, that that's the way I feel. You know, 
So in Staten Island, and and uh, in Staten Island is where I got kidnapped. My Bill got kidnapped. I got kidnapped. You know, and it, that guy held him for two weeks, so and was taking him all kinds of weird places. You probably know his story, and um, you know, and and it was guy against guy, you know, guy against Bill, it was the same sex, and um, very hard, very hard. And uh, I did have a few women come on to me, and the one I punched in the nose, because that's, <laughs> that's the way I am. If someone touches me, how dare you touch me? <laughs> I, I was it's when I was an older teenager. She she came after me, and I just went bang, <laughs> I ran. <laughs> I was real good at running, so um, it was a strange feeling, though. I mean, I like guys. And uh, so this lady coming on to me, uh-uh, no, that's, that's, uh, you, you don't do that to me, honey. So, you know, all these things that we've gone through, though, look at where we are today. So that's why I always say we're still standing. We're still standing, yes, but we're still standing. And when I get these late-night phone calls, 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, whatever, um, the other day, I didn't get to bed until 6.30 in the morning because I have to shower before I go to bed. See, I always have that dirty feeling. I would, gee, I wonder why. Okay. Uh, even if I didn't move that day, from maybe from the couch to the chair, I'm just saying, uh, I would still feel that way because it always leaves something behind. And, and, and with me, with all the stuff that happened to me, um, I always felt dirty. I always felt dirty. Mm-hmm. And um, even if I was in love with someone, I, I fall in love too easily. I'm stupid. <laughs> okay, I do these things. And, you know, and, and a lot of times I end up getting hurt. That's just the way it is. Oh, well, oh, another one bit the dust, you know. <laughs> so what are you going to do? <laughs> so, um, you know, yeah. So, but we're, we're all still standing. See, that's that's the good part of it is that we're all still standing. And we're talking and we're teaching in our way, right? We're teaching. Um, and we're trying to help society to wake up, to realize that this is something that's a major problem. And when you have kids who are committing suicide at the age of eight and and then at 11, and then also two of my nephew through marriage, like I said, it was 11. That was a while ago, but he still did it. I had uh, someone else who my more immediate family, who was just about ready to uh, graduate high school. Just about ready. He had good grades, the whole nine yards. And he committed suicide. That really blew me away. It, it, it triggered me. Because I was 17. He had just turned 18. And um, if I hadn't, a, a friend was living with me. My mother would let friends live with us. We had huge houses. I came for money. That wasn't a problem. It was the people in the house. So she went on a date. She didn't like the guy. He brought her home early, and she caught me. Yeah. That simple. And she dragged me out by my long peroxide <laughs> hair, blonde hair, and um, and... She was bandaging me up in the business that we owned. There was a first aid thing on the wall. But she's not a nurse. She's not a doctor. And I cut deep. And uh, we walked all the way to the diner. It's quite a distance away. And blood was still coming out from underneath the bandage. 
And um, we were the only ones in the diner except for one guy. And I took one look at him, and I fell in love. <laughs> nine months married. Nine months later, I married him. But he wasn't a good guy. You see, we have troubled relationships. We have trouble picking many times. So if we have someone come on the show that's happy, they married well, um, they knew how to pick. I, I get all excited, man, because um, so often, so often we we don't know how to choose good partners because we didn't have a good life. We had no people to look up to, no one to give us boundaries, no one to sit down and tell us why what is wrong and why it's wrong and why something is right and to you know strive and go in that direction. A lot of us didn't have that. And uh, I could go on and on and on. So, I mean, that's child abuse. And we're never going to stop it. I read the Bible when I was 16 years old. And back then, they had their battles. They had their battles, one nation against another nation. This isn't anything new. I don't know the outcome of it. So I pray a lot. That's what I do. And if my mother caught me praying when I was a kid, she would have beat me. She would have beat me. So you're saying all these things that we go through, if we turn out somewhat sane, we did a good job. <laughs> okay? And maybe the doctors did a good job too. I don't know, whatever, whoever's involved. Because we're still standing. Now I've spoken a lot. Lori's spoken a lot. Other people have spoken. Um, Dr. Nancy, you've spoken. Kim, you've spoken. Um, so I'm just going to turn the show completely over to you now. Kim, I think you're the one running it. Am I running it? I thought you were running it. Well, I don't know. Whoever the heck is running it. Well, I don't know who's running it. <laughs> I, told Bill running I, would come it. On. I told Bill I would come on with the topic tonight. And uh, so that's what I did. Nice. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you being on. No, I was just saying, as you were talking about that, too, that's the whole generational thing, too, right, Carol? It's it's the people that decide they're not going to change, they're not going to make a change to make the future children in their life, to make their lives any better. That's how the generational abuse gets continues mm-hmm. to go. Like yeah. both of our moms, so we're like, yeah, that happens. And with that kind of attitude, then, yeah, it's going to continue to happen. So, um, you know, I'm all I'm proud of everybody that comes on this show. I think I'm honored to be able to be a part of, you know, their stories and to let them get it out there and then open up because it does help when you start talking about it more openly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think we knew, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bill always says, he says, you know, the children are our future. Okay, that's one thing he always talks about. And um, so we need to be better people for our children. Parents need to be better parents, and they need to be taught um, that it's okay to sit your child down and teach them about sexuality and also to, um, uh, you know, they'll let you know what time. You know, a lot of times you're giving your kid a bath. And this is right on our website, um, <clears throat> the NASCA website. And um, David Pittman has a lot of good articles on there. 
and he talks about um, what is the right age to start teaching the kids about sex and all that stuff. Well, we teach them about their bodies first. And, you know, you give a child a bath, mommy, what's this, daddy, what's that, you know, whatever, whatever. And he says to tell them, you know, exactly the names. Because let me tell you something. When I got kidnapped, I was eight years old in New York when I got, when I got kidnapped. And that was terrible. But anyway, when they took me into the police department, I was one of 14. When they took me into the police department, they said, well, what did he do? Well, I had no names for anything, see? So all I could do was point. And that, that adds more stress. Because when you stand there, you can't even tell the names of your body parts because you don't know what they are. And not to be ashamed of them. Then, you know, then it, it even adds more stress, you know, to a stressful situation. Now, this guy, they knew of 14. I was never 14. A teenage boy was walking down the street, and he saw him pulling in another little girl into his vehicle. He never changed his car. And and uh, so anyway, he pulled her in, and he ran after the car before the car door was shut. The girl got her leg caught in the door, for God's sake, evidently, from what he had said. And and he wrote down the license plate number, turned it into police, and then they caught him. But who knows how many he actually had. And I hate to say this, but he went to court. They put him in jail. They put him in jail, and he got sentenced. We all had to say, we all had to show up. He only got three years, and his wife kept petitioning the court, saying that she didn't have food for her children, their children, right? And um, she needed him home. They let him out in a year and a half. A year and a half. Now there's something yeah, wrong with it's that. Just yeah. yeah. And they're letting pedophiles out of jail. Okay. For the overcrowding. Uh, there's so many, right. especially in the urban areas. Yeah, yeah. And they're everything, but pedophiles are amongst them too, is my point. And uh, maybe they maybe they were given eight years, which is nothing. But let's just say um, they, you know, <laughs> they're out in, in so much little time. And it doesn't stop them anyway. You cannot cure a pedophile. Oprah had that last show. I've spoken about it on the show before. And she was uh, abused. So she had pedophiles on the stage. There was no audience. And she was talking directly to them. And they had gotten help, by the way, these people that she had on the stage. And um, the last question that she asked was, are you now safe to be around children they ranged in age of 30 to 62, I think it was, or 28 to, to 60, somewhere in there. And the answer was no. Not one. After going to jail and, not, and getting help, too, on top of it all, could say that they were comfortable being around children. Like, don't trust me. No, I can't trust myself. So there's your answer. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. I think you. we had a pretty good show. So, yeah, we yeah. had a good show. Yeah. Yeah. Does anybody else have anything to say before we close uh, out? I think it actually went very well. A lot of information got out there. Um, it's all about teamwork. 
and that's what we were doing tonight. And Philip, um, I think you're doing wonderfully. I spoke to you the time before, but I just want to tell you I can see a difference, and you're doing very, very well. Thanks, Lori. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I do want to hear about Riking Master. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, see, you didn't ever ask him that. Now we're out of time. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. Okay, so I know. Next time you need to tell us all about your Riking Master. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we're going to get our want to hear all about what you're up to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, thank you all for being on. And Dr. Nancy for being my co-host this evening. Good evening, y'all. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Lori, for being on as well and coming on. So as we say, there's enough eyes and ears out there to keep all children safe. So if you see something, please, please, please say something. Have a good evening, everyone. Good night. Good night. Don't